Outlaws, and today's guest is Tom Antion. Antion, Antion, right? Yeah. Antion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he told me how, and I still messed it up. <laughs> Man, practice makes perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm really kind of nervous and beside myself because I have never been interviewed by luminaries like the director of the shoe. <laughs> Boy, you did some homework. A wisdom coach to boot. I mean, I don't know if I can hold up in, in front of you guys. Yeah, I think you can handle yourself, <laughs> Antion. Yeah, I think you what, can. And you're an e-millionaire? Is that the term I've heard you and other? Yeah, yeah I've been. Uh, the commercial internet started in 1994 and I've been selling on it since it started. And by 2000, I was a multimillionaire uh, by doing that, but it was a combination of that and the pro speaking, you know, I've been, I've done about 3000 speeches in 12 countries. So, so uh, running your mouth can be lucrative, you know, wow, <laughs> yeah, getting people to listen is the trick. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. I wrote the book called Wake Em Up Business Presentations. So uh, mm. I usually get the longest slots because I, I use a series of techniques that uh, you never notice that they're techniques, but it's like bam, 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 bam. And you just, you don't want to go to the bathroom because you don't know what I'm going to say next. You know, so. <laughs> right. You create an instant FOMO. Yes, exactly. Um, so and, tell us how that book came into being. Well, um, I came from a comic background. In fact, I think that I must have started because of the making of the prankster uh, movie, because I had a, a, a practical joke company long before punk was around, any of those things. Uh, we did 4,000 custom design practical jokes in and around Washington, D.C. Wow. Uh, and I always thought there's something bigger out there for me. And then I, I got into the professional speaking business because I was real. I could be really funny, but I had a lot of business experience. I've never had a job. My podcast is called Screw the Commute, which I think you guys are going to be on here one of these days. Um, and so I had I mixed the, the entertainment with the speaking and uh, and. I was just kicking butt. I mean, it was just people that had been in the industry year, 20 years couldn't hold a candle to me on stage. So, so uh, people started begging me to teach them and I was, um, teaching so much. I thought I can't get my own work done because I'm teaching people. So that's when I wrote the book, wake them up. And it's kind of a classic in the industry and it's, it's based on uh, a bunch of, um, uh, elements that you can do in a speech that keep people's attention. And, and this old, <laughs> you know, I got kind of a love hate relationship with Toastmasters <laughs> because, you know, Oh my God, you know, they're great. The love part is they're really great. If you're so pitiful, you just <laughs> have to take a shit on stage. Oh, that was a great shit. It was perfectly timed, you know, 
But once they cross the line thinking they're professionals, that's what I say. I say, whoa, hold on. One time I was uh, 25 years ago, I was doing a speech in Dallas, got paid 5,000 bucks for the hour. And, um, they, a three-minute standing ovation, which you guys are in the entertainment industry, you know that is a hell of a That's long serious. time for standing ovation. Yeah. They were begging the executives to let me keep going. They're lined up from the – there's a big auditorium all the way out into the parking lot to get their book signed by me. And a Toastmaster guy <laughs> stood in line for a half an hour to tell me he didn't think I was very professional because my coat was unbuttoned. And <laughs> I said, I'm in awe six times. <laughs> All right. Okay. You're probably right. I should give the 5000 back and, and and beg forgiveness from all these people in the crowd standing in line. His jealousy got expressed as uh, the only form he could find to try to bring critical analysis to it. The only way he could feel anything uh, along the lines of, um, you know, simpatico with you was to like go, well, he needs a little, he needs a little feedback and and I'm, I'm good at feedback. I practice (laughs) feedback every week, but I always, I don't always practice my speeches. Um, And just to be clear, Tom, I'm a Toastmaster. Well, so yeah, I, you know, like I said, I got a love book. So if you take good shits on stage, timed perfectly, then I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way for people who think they can't give speeches to confirm that they can't give speeches. Absolutely. I mean, when uh, uh, I, I got the uh, award for the Northeast for the non-Toastmaster. So it was a big regional thing, and I'm up there, and they're giving me an award and stuff. And then they asked me to uh, to judge the speaking contest. And so I'm there and I'm watching these people that probably the worst speakers on the face of the earth. And they're trying to time their gesture exactly with this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, these people get laughed off the stage in any real professional big money setting. Because where I went, if I bombed, the meeting planner gets fired. Okay. And the executives disavow anything I said, and it's a big nightmare, you know? So, so, uh, so anyway, I love them on one hand, but I hate them on the other. <laughs> they think hmm. they're professional. Yeah. You know, one of the things I found when I was doing it was this idea that when it's, it's all figured out and it's got all the frameworks and all the, you know, timing and all that. I really did a terrible job, but when I got up there and just kind of threw the spaghetti from where I sit and was a genuine human being, I was, I did much better. You get a lot more emotional resonance from that. So it's really about knowing the subject and having a sense of how to move the audience. I would really love to read your book. I have a question about it and then I'll yeah. stop talking to you. You can get in. Um, it appears as though there's a series of, comic panels that is the nature of the book is that true or am i making that up what do you mean by panels well the cover has comic panels you know artwork with frames like a panel oh right and a comic. okay well, so is yeah. it a comic book well it's um it's a uh it's not a comic book but it's uh, has extensive technique on how to use humor appropriately in business presentations because and but that's just one of the attention gaining devices that i teach uh, stage 000. movement is one uh visuals is another audience interaction is another um you know those kinds of things so so it is heavily humor based but it's way more than that for instance um i don't know if you guys know the optimum seating method for interaction with the audience 
chairs. Well, chairs is good, but how do you set them up? That's the question. Circle? And, well, semicircle, not circle, because you're going to have people behind you. Behind you. Okay. So semicircle, it, I had done 500 presentations. And once you do that many, you're using a lot of the same humor and, you know, reactions. And you, you know what's going to happen if you've done that many. So after 500 presentations, I was taught this semicircular seating method. So whenever possible that I had a say in it, I set the people in semicircular, and I got three times the reaction from the same material. Why? Because uh, humor and engagement are socially facilitated phenomena. So if you're in straight theater style, which is straight chairs, you have to, all you see is the ear of the person on this side and this side. And, uh, and if you're at the end of a row, your head is cranked really hard and you're cutting the blood flow off to your head. And a lot of the audience I had, they couldn't afford any blood flow cut off to their head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so when it's in a semicircular style, everybody in the row can see everybody else's faces. So if one person has a funny cackle, over here, it's something I say, it influences everybody here, and it caused a triple the engagement. So my career with that one change took off even higher. You know, I went, when I quit corporate speaking, I was 20000 for a speech. And I don't even want that anymore because the public seminars I can sell at the back of the room without being obnoxious, I might add, and uh, come home with a hundred to 250000 each speech. So... All right, so a public seminars of what? Public seminars would be people interested in, uh, well, like I used to speak at Author 101. I was their main uh, headliner for, like, I don't know, 15 years. And so people were there wanting to uh, write a book or promote a book. So I would be uh, one of the headliners to teach them how to market it online. And then uh, my big program, they would, buy at the back of the room and then, you know, do all the stuff that I, I, I gave them after this speech. All right. So, all right, so like a, conf a convention, a professional yeah, it'd be a convention on a certain topic or, a, you know, so, but there was other people talking about how to get a publishing contract and how to write your book. And so I was one of the ones, but right. they, right. if I wasn't there, the whole thing wouldn't be profitable because they get a percentage of what I sell. Are you stuff. still doing live? Well, since COVID hit, uh, haven't had any of the big events uh, booked so much. And I haven't been on a plane in four years. And I really don't care because I have the Internet stuff going so well that, uh, it's, it, you know, if, if it turns around and comes back, I'll probably be one of the first ones they call because I always crank high numbers with no complaints. So I, before we move on, the – Drawing behind you with all the signatures. Yeah. What is that? All right. So um, I, I was telling uh, Mark that I, I came from a small town, and uh, my dad came from Syria on a cattle boat in the early 1900s. In fact, they're doing a documentary about myself and his life and entrepreneurship. And um, and uh, from the time – but he only went to the second grade. And uh, I, do you remember Johnny Cash? Of course. You just, right. So he had a song uh, named A Boy Named Sue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, oh, the yeah. premise was an old drunk cowboy. Uh, you guys like cowboys, I understand. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. What is that thing you support? Cow, uh, 
Oh, the Compton, Compton Cowboys. Cowboys. The Cowboys right. yeah. 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 So anyway, his old junk cowboy figured he wouldn't be around to raise his kids, so he named them Sue to make them scrap really hard. Well, my dad was 50 when he had me, and he figured he wouldn't be around. And so he would, from the time I could crawl, he would put pillows in front of me and, let's see, uh, and my toys to okay. teach me to overcome obstacles. And from the, to this day, I'm unstoppable. You, you tell me I can't do something, you better get out of the way as I blow by doing it. Now, I won't step on anybody or cheat anybody to do it. In fact, I have a TV show in development in your neighborhood uh, called Scam Brigade because I go after bad people. But anyway, uh, so that was uh, when he uh, passed, uh, we had a big, uh, we had, a, in, I think it was in California, a big event called Fusion where I taught a bunch of stuff, but it was all dedicated to what I learned from him. So, so that's what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah, what is all the signatures on it? Well, everybody in the crowd, uh, you know, oh. that knew of him and knew his story signed it as being, okay. yeah. Right. And what's Very the cool. significance of the image? The 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 baby? Yeah. Yeah, the, oh, when I was you ba- crawling on the ground on Yeah, on that's pillows. me crawling uh towards a pill uh, with a pillow Got it. Got as it. my obstacle to get to my toys. That was his method to teach me how to become unstoppable yeah. when he wouldn't be around. Then he lived to be 94 anyway. <laughs> so he was around. Wow. Yeah. 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 Oh man, I think you guys are uh, taking me into my. Um, uh, there was one movie you guys were involved in. I was, uh, yeah, yeah. You're taking me into a time loop and forcing me to relive my checkered past. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> you really did. I don't forget what. So, you've been doing this e thing for a long time. Do you have any? Is that still a passion? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I I, I love making money. All right, I, I really get a kick out of it, as long as it's ethical and uh, moral. I could pass on a little bit, but ethical <laughs> is good. Uh, so, um, uh, so I just love the fact that I can sell electrons and people give me money for it. And the reason I push so hard the people that come to me to train to get into this digital world is because it's 97% profit. It's just a little credit card fees against it. And you got to really try to mess up <laughs> to not be profitable at 97% profit. All the films you guys made, what was the percentage profit margin? Like negative? You know, so, yeah. See, so, uh, and even a lot of people doing, um, physical stuff or landscaping or dentistry local they think their market is local by creating a product a digital product a lot of these places are keeping themselves afloat with the 97 percent profit about what they do rather than doing it for instance a landscaper most of them are going to be oh i shouldn't tell what i do because i'll get too much competition no, that's ridiculous. If you tell people how to do this, how to start a landscaping company, you can get money from all over the world in different languages at 97% profit. So uh, many times it's more profitable to tell what you do than doing it anymore. <laughs> you know, so, but doing there, it makes you the expert. Are there any digital course categories that you think are oversaturated or just ridiculously um, not viable in terms of, you know, their profitability and their, 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 like, what, what have you seen that just fails every time? Well, I would, uh, currently I wouldn't fool with anything AI related. 
because everybody on earth is just slopping stuff out there and you're just being, you'll just be in the noise to, to try to break through to make your product look any better than the next guy. Ridiculous. But any how to care category, uh, is, has been viable for years. I sold my first ebook in around 2000 in the PDF format. And, um, some of it's still selling, you know, stuff that I did that's evergreen back then. My internet stuff's not evergreen, but my public speaking stuff is. I got stuff selling, selling, selling for years and years and years. And it's, uh, we, we used to have a big DVD office and we made our own DVDs and shipped them and stuff. Now we wiped out all that expense and trouble. And now it's almost all digital now. So, so, uh, no, as long as it's how to information that people want to know, there's a market gardening, archery, you can't name thing, something that somebody wouldn't buy. So what's not evergreen about some of your internet stuff? Well, I can, I could do a seminar. I have, I have the longest running ever internet seminar called Butt Camp based on the fact that everybody was begging me to do a boot camp. But I said, everybody does boot camps. I can't do a boot camp. And I was sitting on my ass making all this money. I said, I'll call it Butt Camp. And it caught on and I've done them in like 11 countries, except in, in England, they made me call it Bum Camp instead of Butt Camp. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so what was the question again? I forgot. What What is not evergreen? Like you mentioned oh. that some of your stuff isn't evergreen. What is oh, the not well, evergreen? For instance, I mean, the internet changes so rapidly. For instance, for longest time, I would teach people to do link trades because the most links coming into your, in the, in the early days, it was just the number of links coming into your site would raise you in the search results. And I'm talking way back in early yeah, Google yeah. and late Alta Vista and those kind of crap search engines. You could, I had, I had five of the top uh, 10 first page in Alta Vista for years, had the uh, top one in Google for year, for 12 years straight uh, on important keywords. But then Google caught on to this. Oh, people were just doing all these bullshit links. All right. So now uh, link trading is absolutely a no-no because link trading is not natural. They want natural uh, things to give yourself a high ranking. So if you're making a deal, it's the chances of you linking to my site, it's which is either protection dogs or all the crazy stuff I sell, um, and me linking back to you, the chances are almost nil. So they see that and then they disavow the links. So now the link strategy is the higher the quality or the more respected the site is good and the more related it is to your topic is good. So you cut down the number of links. In fact, they're, they're encouraging people to go tell people quit linking to me. <laughs> you know, Google is telling people to do that. So that's a exam, just one example of hundreds. Right, so you had to pull that class, that class offline because it was not valuable. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And in my school, it. we have the only licensed dedicated internet marketing school in the country. We change the curriculum sometimes daily. At the, at the worst, a weekly because things change. So by the time you graduate, things change behind you. So we allow our alumni to go, you know, back through and, and pick up on stuff. But there's just tons. Of, it just changes rapidly. But stuff in this, this was written in 1994. And I still use the same techniques today on stage, except for uh, there's some stuff in here about uh, project uh, overhead projectors. You know, that's about the only <laughs> thing. <laughs> um 
so SEO is a huge part of your knowledge. Do you feel you can keep up with Google algorithms? No, hell no. No, I've quit doing uh, SEO six, seven years ago. I went oh, to all really? paid traffic. And, um, and, and a lot of people ask me about social media. I don't look that great on social media, but I got 100,000 email subscribers that if I hit a button, will send me loads of money. Uh, so social media to me is a necessary evil uh, to uh, get people, catch them, and, the, and they're going to check you out if they never heard of you on your social media, but then to get them off there onto my email list that I control because Mark Zuckerberg can turn a dial and I disappear off the face of the earth. So we quit SEO, you know, because SEO takes six months or more to really do it well, and then they could change something and you disappear again. So paid traffic is much better because you can get instantaneous results and keep uh, keep um, moving forward. So talk, but, more, talk more broadly about paid traffic. What is that? And what are the channels that you are finding that you are willing to tell us that aren't your secret? Oh, no, I tell anything. I, I don't mind because okay. I don't. So what is do paid traffic and what are the where's the best ratio ROI on that stuff? All right. The best deal that I know of is um, YouTube in-stream ads. And what that means is the, the ads that you can see the skip button, right? Right. You've all seen them. Yeah. Well, most people don't know if you click that skip button b before th um, 30 seconds, they don't pay anything. The advertiser just pays nothing. So they can get enormous branding uh, and, and in fact, uh, some of the ads I do, I tell people to click, to click the skip. Uh, for instance, we, uh, we do some stuff with military spouse scholarships. And so I might say, hey, if you're happy selling that stupid Lululemon stuff to your friends at Starbucks and pissing them off, hey, you probably don't want to hear what I have to say. Just click that skip button and, and, uh, and go watch the video you wanted to watch. But if you want to uh, get security for your family wherever you deploy, maybe you want to listen to what I have to say. That kind of stuff. I noticed ads like that starting to come out where they said, if blah, 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 then move That's on. why. Because if uh, they go past 30 seconds, then the advertiser pays, even if you're a schmuck and don't want to buy anything. Eh? Wow. So they're trying to tell them not to do that. So that's one of the best bargains. Another um, uh, best bargain is Amazon sponsored ads. So if you have a book or something or product, uh, you know, every time you search for something, you see sponsor, you know, whatever it is, it could be a right. turkey baster. You know, they're going to have sponsored ads up there. But for books, especially, uh, it's really dirt, dirt cheap. I mean, we're talking pennies. Um, and, and even if uh, it loses money, I don't care because um, I got that distribution into the Amazon marketplace. And the, one of the tricks, I don't know if you guys are doing any books or not, but one of the not tricks, um, first of all, I start everybody out doing a PDF ebook. All right. That's right. the first thing. Cost you nothing to develop, nothing, zero. Um, but then I have them converted to Amazon Kindle which Amazon Kindle is free software. Kindle creates software, works on both PCs and Macs, and it's uh, downloadable for free. And so you can have 200 million people a day at least exposed to you on Amazon because of, uh, of their free promotion of your book. Uh, and then you can jack it up to the top by uh, 
by putting um, a few ads in. But the trick is, is, you know, if you go to Amazon and pull up a book, the, uh, and pull the book up, up in the corner, it says, look in. Right. You see that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you click that button and you can see the top, I mean, roughly about 10%. They don't tell right. you exactly of the book. Right. Well, the trick is, is in your book, you put a freebie called a bounce back. A bounce back is something that the freebie that gets them to come to your, click to your website to opt in to get the freebie. Well, so I don't give a damn if they even buy the book. I want them on my email list, which I can back end them forever, you know, with, with products and services and good tips and podcasts and everything. See, so, uh, you put that bounce back into the ebook. Where does it, how do you do that? You put that in the first page or two? Yeah, you put it somewhere near the right in the top because when they click look in, they're going to see that. And like I said, even if they don't buy it, they're going to click over and get in your, email list, which is where the big money is. And other than people that sell social media, everybody at my level makes the money from email. There's no question about it, unless you're selling teeny bopper stuff off of TikTok or something. Right. They don't use email that much. But but uh, people that have money do, and that's where the big money comes from. So you want to do whatever possible to get them on an email list. Well, I did notice that getting your ebook, one, it was much simpler than I usually experience. You just want my name and email done. Done. I mean, there wasn't this whole long page of yeah. stuff. It was like, here it the is. Funnels kill me, man. Like the yeah. endless funnel. Like, stop it. Stop trying to upsell me. I just. Want I was the traveling one through, and I know a lot of these big shot internet guys. And I was traveling, and the guy, the guy says, "Oh, come on, Tom. I'm doing my management course. Come on, sit in on it. You know." And so he's three hours. He's outlining this funnel. It looks like a. A, a rat maze, you know, <laughs> nobody's ever going to do that shit. Um, mine is uh, I, the simplest funnel I have is, Hey, opt in. And then you might get a couple autoresponder messages and then you're going to start getting my broadcasts and they're going to be worthwhile. I don't broadcast every day. A lot of, and I do know that the more email you send, the more money you'll make. But a lot of people are just sending stuff just to get an email out and it's bullshit, you know? So, I get a good open rate because people know if I send it out, it's going to be something worthwhile. And you don't want to get that reputation that they just ignore it and or unsubscribe. So what service are you using? The double opt-in is very important to you? Well, I don't use double opt-in unless I'm getting what's called a script run against my site. That means some eight-year-old kid or some kid woke up from his nap in preschool and got a a rope, a bot right. to hit my site over and over again with bullshit email addresses. So I will turn on double opt in to, to make the bot go away saying has no sense coming here anymore. Cause I can't get through. So uh, then I'll turn it back. Cause if the, the more uh, barriers you put to sign up, the more, you know, the less people you're going to get. So, so I only turn it on if necessary. And now, if you were doing something like uh, insurance quotes and you really had to qualify people, yeah, you want to do everything, give them a, tell them uh, they got to tell you they're firstborn and they're so, you know, all this crap. But that gets rid of the people, you know, because you're going to have to have an agent call them. But for me, it's just come on down, you know, come on my list, you know. Uh, and uh, Mark asked what service. So I have multiple. I had services long before you could even put their name in. 
So, so I have some, uh, multiple services going. The main one that I use is called Kickstart Cart, which is a complete shopping cart system, autoresponder, the whole thing. I promote it myself. But I have a Weber is a high quality place. Don't use Mailchimp. Holy God! I mean, come on. Why uh, are you so against Mailchimp? Well, mail. Uh, anytime there's a free thing. Every spammer that's got a union card is going to go there, <laughs> all right, and then blow out a bunch of spam till they get kicked off, and then that server is going to be identified around the world as a spam server, and even if you're totally legit, you're lumped in in a bad neighborhood, see? So that's why uh, any kind of free email service is just stupid. I mean, I mean, to, to your personal email, I don't care what you use. Although uh, Yahoo and AOL will still, you know, you won't get the stuff that you're supposed to get. Gmail is fine. But uh, to to try to make money with broadcast email and use crap like that is just stupid. I mean, it's, it's ignorant. It's, it's unknowing. I'm not trying to be mean about it. It's just right, people right. don't know. Did the recent um, European and California legislation um, impact your email list? <laughs> okay. This reminds me of Canada. Oh, I don't know how many years ago it was. Canada came out and said that um, we're going to charge you Americans $10 million if you spam us up here. And and me and all the other guys are looking like, okay. We kind of all stood up in unison and gave the finger to the north. <laughs> it's like, come on, bring it on, try to try to enforce it. So it's the same thing with the European thing, and the, I don't know what California is trying to pull now. I mean, it couldn't alienate more people. I mean, get on your mopeds and drive east like everybody else in your state. <laughs> you know, now we're we're sitting around waiting to take over their homesteads after this. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. There'll be ghost towns. You could buy the whole state pretty soon. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so it hasn't really affected anything. If you're doing legitimate stuff, your subject lines are not clickbait, and uh, you have the uh, the Can Spam Act address at the bottom, and you're not, uh, and you remove people when they want to be removed. Chances of you ever having any trouble are slim. Now the, the lawyers is going to tell you all the possible things that could happen to you. Eh, it might, but it's doubtful. Yeah. Be legit. Tom, clearly Greg and I are fascinated by all this, and we could continue to drive you into training us <laughs> on these arenas. But my request is that we go a little bit deeper and get a little bit more personal. Ooh, uh, this is back into the uh, my the wisdom coaching path, part. Right, my yeah. <laughs> time loop. So I read that you had a um, real estate property that, was multi-unit before you got to college and that your yeah. dad sort of helped you to drive you towards business right away. And so what I'm curious about is the path of success and failure. Like most of the entrepreneurs that I've talked to, there's like this ratio of like, I like 25 to one of failure and then success. And I just want to know like how you deal with the stress of launches that don't pan out and what your experience has been, have you had the golden touch all the, all your life? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Golden, <laughs> yeah, silvers. I had to take the silver spoon out just to do this interview. Yeah. Um, so I was encouraged to be an entrepreneur my whole life. Absolutely. From the time I could 
remember. I mean, uh, so because I saw my dad, you know, doing entrepreneurial stuff, he built a truck stop and he built all this stuff, taught me how to use tools. That's why I could probably marry a 20 year old now because they can't find a, a husband that can you know, change a light bulb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> I actually saw that on the news that millennial girls can't find anybody to marry. They, they go shopping with them, but they don't want to marry. Um, well, that's so, what I, where I come in, right? I'm a men's wisdom coach. So I'm teaching those millennial men what it, what it need, what they need to pull together to actually be viable. Take, a, take an actual craftsman toolbox with you and show yeah. them how. <laughs> exactly. And I just need a better email marketing campaign to land more clients. That's where I'm at in my business. But yeah. again, the question is, how did you deal with the different failures that showed up early? And what are some of the things that you felt challenged by and that were like the version of overcoming the pillow to get to the next stage? Like, where was yeah. your life a challenge? Okay, well, um, uh, let's uh, start at my night. I had a, the largest, second largest nightclub in the state. Um, and I worked seven days a week for six years. I was on my way to being a millionaire before I was 30. I was in over a hundred violent encounters with bikers trying to kill me. I wear a gun all the time. You guys can't do it. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, why is he wearing a gun? Yeah, I wear Go a gun on. all the time. Cause I've seen the, the dark side and I'm, I'm what they call a sheep dog. You know, there's, there's the sheep dog and there's the sheep. Sheep. Most people are sheep, which is not negative. It's, it's like they just go through life and just want to go through life. And then you got the the wolves. Those are the bad people that, you know, rob all your Walgreens and, and beat you in the head for no reason. So I'm I'm the sheepdog. I'm a guy that counters that stuff. But um, anyway, so I was in a hundred violent counters, bikers trying to kill me, um, on my way to being a millionaire. And then the drinking age goes from 20, uh, 18 to 21 wipes me out. Uh, I had this second largest club. You know how if you go into a club and it's half empty, you say, ah, it's dead. Let's right. go somewhere else. Right. So mine was the biggest place in the whole region. And once that happened, half the people are gone. The other half went too because it looked dead. So uh, I lost about $400,000. This is in 1980s money. Wow. Lost everything. Was living on a, um, in a, um, vacant house my buddy owned i had torn my achilles tendon no Ooh. health insurance laying on a a, a a mattress in a vacant house and i always kept humor around me you know there's an old this guy i forget what his name was but he wrote the book on how to humor saved his cancer and all i forget his name um and then uh so i'm i'm laying there Total, you know, living off credit cards. I was the biggest shot in the region, and now I'm a nobody living on a mattress in a vacant house. And I'm watching a black and white TV, which you guys not old enough to even have seen. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. I had one. Uh, Most most people listening uh, aren't. And uh, Candid Camera is on. And I'm doodling, and I doodle a little devil sticking his tongue out at you. And I got the idea. I said, you know, everybody loves candid camera, but you can't really participate unless you live in California and happen to get caught by it. So I said, I'm going to start a practical joke business. Like I said, this is long before punk was there. So I'm laying there almost dead. And uh, so as soon as I could walk, I moved to Washington, D.C. I knew I needed a big population area to do this. And I opened a company called Prank Masters. We custom designed practical jokes and I starved to death for six months. Um, and then 
uh, I had this one routine called an over-the-hill preacher. So if you turn 30, 40, or 50, I dressed up like a priest and did a last will and testament for you at the party. And I had these these pauper caskets I bought at a flea market, full-size caskets. Wow. And I would haul them in a little Nissan Sentra with a a, a, a utility trailer. And I put a thing, one of those magnets that says Tom's Discount Funerals. Yeah, so I'm trying to... <laughs> so nice. So brilliant. Uh, so the uh, the Washington Times picked it up and did a feature article. I started getting busy. Then you know the papers watch each other. The Washington Post picked it up, and I started getting really busy. And from that, Associated Press picked it up, and twelve oh, wow. fifteen hundred stations around the world were calling me for interviews and. And I was on the Tokyo Today show and, and uh, had all these. Went crazy- viral. Yeah, yeah. At those, in those internet. days, pre internet still. So, yeah. so um, we had all kinds of crazy characters. We had this guy that was 450 pounds and he did an act called a moonogram. Oh, God. It was actually written on his butt. Oh, God. <laughs> but, you know, you know, guys. Every every business has its technical difficulties, right? If he had more than one message in a day he had to deliver, somebody had to erase the first one and put oh. the second one on. Yeah. He had to turn over. Someone still had to put the first one on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we had to turn over that, that position. But, yeah, it was a blast. So I wrote custom humor every day uh, for the next six years. But the whole time I was thinking that there's something bigger for me, and that's where Wake Him Up and the professional speaking came after that. But, but so so from the lowest point of my life, all right, so back to me laying on the vacant mattress where most people would have folded and, and crumbled. Gone to With work my dad in my ear, it says, this is not you. You're a winner just because that thing went down. And so I kept my humor up. And, and being able to do that in the face of the biggest adversity that I ever faced was allowed me or allowed my mind to think up this other thing that then took me off. And basically put me here today because my speaking career took me all over the world. And um, and then when the Internet came along and the podcasting, all this stuff. So so uh, being able to uh, stay upbeat in the face of adversity, whatever it is for you. For me, it was keeping humor books around me. But whatever it takes, if it means fishing or I know I was uh, interviewing a guy yesterday. He had burned out totally. He started going fishing. Because he loved fishing from a kid and end up being a professional fish guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the whoever does that is crazy. But <laughs> yeah, but if you, if you wake up every day and it's it doesn't feel like work, that's a really important sign. That's right? why yeah. my age and doing this every day, seven days a week, have mentees all over the world. It's it's like um that's my destiny. It's not like well when you're going to retire from what? I mean I live I can buy whatever I want. I got I, I started a protection dog company. I, I have a uh, uh I'm, I'm a tennis nut, and so I have a site called Fatso Tennis. I have the dubious distinction of being the largest person ever to create and star in a tennis training video. <laughs> <laughs> In the, you can watch the trailer at Fatso Tennis, me playing tennis and eating pizza at the same time. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so, 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 what about your weight journey? Yeah, like, so I've been has up. Has that and always down. been the case that you've I've always been, been heavy? 
Yeah, uh, I was 140 pounds in first grade, and I think you guys have kids, and you know that's just, that's like, oh, oh it kind of reminds me uh, when I saw about the movie The Shoe. I don't want to brag, right? but <laughs> I, Tom Antion, am up for a part in the remake of The Blob. All right. Yeah, because <laughs> I say fourth saved... remake of The Blob. Well, I don't know how many they're doing, but, but the. Uh, um, I saved an organization in California from going bankrupt by doing a fundraiser for them. And the the um, uh, the leader's husband did the original blob. And oh, she wow. said, what can I do for you? I said, I don't, just get me in the blob. I'll be the blob. I don't care. I'll, <laughs> I'll milk that the rest of my life if I'm in that movie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I get off on tangents, guys. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, Again, this your humor is front and center, and that's really what we're all about too. So we going getting back to the question seems like uh, eating broccoli at dinner. Like okay, forget it. Let's, it <laughs> we're almost to dessert. Like let's keep going. Um, so what are you looking forward to? Like what one of the things that um, in the group of entrepreneurs, when we like, hey, my name's so and so, and it's been three days since I registered a domain. Like what are the things that you're looking forward to? Oh, I kind of remember the question. Now it's been it's been three days since I ate a twenty four inch pizza. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying so, to order a pizza, man. I've been up and down, but anyway, I was one hundred forty pounds in um, in first grade. Then I got into midget football, and I am the person that they started the weight limits because I was two hundred and twenty pounds, six foot one, in twelve years old. Damn. And if they needed to score, they gave me the ball. You and just walked through. As I walked down the 60-yard field. <laughs> and then, uh, But I got real serious about it. And then for the next 15 years, I was, all, I was fourth in the state re- heavyweight wrestling. Uh, I was all-state football, went to college on a football scholarship, had 40 um, scholarship offers from around the country. My, <laughs> my favorite one was Joe Paterno. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah, so I had wanted my whole life to get a scholarship to Penn State. Uh, my brother went there, and I wanted to get a football scholarship to Penn State. So my dad at the time, remember this dad that was older, mm-hmm. he's 73, 74 years old, and he's trying to – he's reading up on all the recruiting violations and all this stuff. So, <laughs> so we're sitting in Joe Paterno's office, and, you know – College athletics is governed by the NCAA, National Collegiate Athletic Association. <laughs> so my dad looks Joe Paterno right in the eye and says, Joe, is your school covered by the NAACP? <laughs> I wanted to crawl under the thing. Joe didn't know whether he's kidding or like, didn't know what to say. So I went to West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. West by God, Virginia. We beat the California Golden Bears with no respect. That <laughs> no yeah, what year was that? <laughs> oh, that was 1975, man, something like that. So yeah, you played on the football guard. team at your college. Yeah, offensive guard, full scholarship. Oh, yeah. Nice. That was nice. The, the only reason I was first team, this is God's truth. And I, haven't, I have not watched a football game uh, since 1978 (laughs) because it was such a nasty experience being there. Mm -hmm. If you have half a brain, (laughs) so uh, there was 31 of us in my freshman picture, only Mm -hmm. six of us graduated. The rest of us, rest of them got thrown in jail, flunked out dead, 
you know, those kind of things. So uh, they take anybody, you know, and shoot you up, you know, to keep you on the field. It was, it's not the raw, raw that you see on the outside. So, so the only reason, <laughs> this is the truth, the only reason I was first team wasn't the biggest, strongest, only one that could remember the plays. Oh, <laughs> Wow. So they call a play. These these faces would be looking at me. I'd say, "Go." <laughs> so, was there ever a possibility of you being pro? No, I, I wanted to be, but you could you can kind of tell. Well, but when you get to sophomore year, that I, I don't have <laughs> I don't have it. I'm good enough to be a top twenty school start for a top twenty school, but only five percent. First of all, only 5% of high school athletes make it college, and only 5% of college make it to pro. And I knew, you know, like I said, I'm, I was a reasonable. You're better, off. You're yeah. better off, man. You're having more fun, making more money. And oh, that's good for the world. Not uh, damaged. And I mean, uh, and even at the college level, everybody can kill you. I mean, you, you know, I was a knockout artist back in those days. There was no – you could hit somebody with your elbow. Now you have to keep your elbow in. But I, <laughs> they'd be watching the running back. I'd go up and just douche him right in the face and knock him out. Yeah, but you can't do that anymore. Do you have anyway, any anybody close, can kill you. What's that? Do you have any close friends that are from those college years? No, not one. No. Wow. There were so many. Um, like I said, they just um, – they would take anybody. In fact, now – the, my one roommate, when I first started, 6'5", 265 pounds, could bench 365 pounds. Wow. Couldn't read and write. I had to get him through the first semester, and it just I kept trying, 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 and eventually just he was so bad they flunked him out. Uh, but he went home, and he could walk by a furniture store, look at the furniture, and go back and duplicate it in his wood shop better than the original. He didn't belong there in the first place. You know, right. they just take him because they, they're hoping that, uh, you know, it's a big money deal. I mean, back when I played, there was, it was $5 million the school would get for a bowl appearance, not for winning, just to show up in the, the peach. I played in the peach bowl. Um, so now uh, hard to tell how much money it is. It finances all the other minor sports. So it's a, it's a money machine. Of course, now they're talking about paying and letting the athletes get endorsements and stuff, but not when I was around. That's also the NCAA can take their 25% of those endorsement deals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, have, how do you, the, I don't know if this is the right word, but it might protect yourself from the continual onslaught of people wanting a piece of your pie. Um, I think the fact that I carry a gun and have a site called brutal self-defense <laughs> makes me a little bit. <laughs> well, here's what I'm wondering, even more like people that are close to you. I'm kind um, of a loner and I have a, a girlfriend for 20 years, you know, so she's just the sweetest thing. Uh, and people say, well, how come you're not married? You got to get to know somebody right before, <laughs> you know, so, um, um, yeah. So I think uh, people look at me as a tough guy and not a pushover. And, uh, you know, first of all, I had a practical joke company so I can manipulate minds like crazy. And luckily I did it for good. They know I got a anti-scam show that I'll stick a camera in their face and blow them up all over the country if they're doing bad stuff and uh, wear a gun. 
I got a brutal self-defense size. I have protection dogs, $50,000 protection dogs. So ah, people, I'm just not much of a target for, for an easy pushover, put it that way. Yeah. But you don't find that even close people close to you in your life come up like, hey, Tom, do you have 2,500? I don't, uh, I don't have that many people close. I'm kind of a loner, you know, so uh, I stick to myself. Now I go, and people, you know, I'm like an ISTP, I think, in that Myers-Briggs thing. You know, which ISTP, that's not one of the ones that's Myers-Briggs, I don't think. Oh, what is it? Uh, well, there's INFP, there's, you know, there's all kinds of ones, but I've never heard INSTP, ISTP. No, ISTP, I think. I'm like an oil treatment or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's the, uh, oh, you know, instead of being an outgoing person. You're an introvert. introvert introvert yeah which yeah. i go to these big events and they hear you're an introvert they does right, unbelievable right. like right now you say oh all right sure you're an introvert but i go to these big things and people pull me every which direction but then i'm happy to get home and sit there with the dogs quiet i live in this big estate and it's quiet and nobody bothers me and that's where i i recharge i guess but uh yeah uh, yeah, and then so the internet stuff. So not going to speak doesn't bother me a bit. I mean, it's big chunks of income at once, but I'm happy to sit here. I haven't, like I said, I haven't been on a plane for four years. And I, when you see on TV what's going on on airplanes nowadays, oh my God, geez, I don't want to yeah. be up there fighting with people. So one of the things I asked you a few minutes ago is what are, what are some new initiatives that you're dying to sort of to push out there to to, re, to create? What's the next? Oh, for I just started a, um, I just, uh, I was a uh, freelance commercial pilot for years also. So I was a commercial multi-engine instrument part 135, which is a high level charter pilot. <clears throat> so I haven't been doing that for years and years and years. So um, I'm also kind of a security kind of guy, prepper kind of guy a little bit. And so I saw this article on using drones to surveil your property. So you see the bad guys come. And I thought that ought to be fun. So I got into drones and I said, oh, I'm going to get my commercial drone license. So I got my commercial drone license and I'm starting a company to, uh, you know, to do real estate and roof inspections. And uh, it's an industry that's uh, going it's $27 billion in the, in the world right now. It's expected to go to $300 billion in the next six years. So get your kids into drone stuff. They're, they're <laughs> everywhere. In fact, I was just up at a property have, and the, they, had, they had to send six engineers out to walk this property, which could have been done in a half hour with one drone. You know, I told him, I said, what are you guys doing here? Go get a drone and stay home and watch it on TV. You know, so uh, so that's something I'm doing. Uh, and it's not digital or Internet so much, but it's, you know, I do whatever I want. Yeah. yeah and, and I'm getting the, the, the neighborhood kid that works for me on Sundays. I got him to get his recreational. He's only 14. I uh, got him to get his recreational drone license, and then I'm going to take him with me on jobs and groom him to uh, get his commercial license when he's 16. And uh, I'm doing something good for for the world, you know. Very awesome. cool. Yeah. Do you have any interest, or do you? What's the path for you to be um, basically a military drone pilot part time? Would you be interested in blowing shit up? 
No, no, no. I don't really want to kill people that much. I mean, if I, I don't mind killing people. <laughs> but they have to earn it pretty clearly. Yeah, they like, yeah. yeah they, I have to know for sure. It's like I don't like to give the big charities because only a percentage of the money gets where it's supposed right. to go. I give yeah, it right. directly to people, and I I rescue animals and stuff. But if I had to kill you, I want to know you deserve it. <laughs> yeah, you know? and I don't think it would be. Uh, I don't think they'd be asking for any sixty-eight-year-old <laughs> military guys to join. Well, but if you're that good a pilot. You know, you could always serve your country once once a weekend. Well, yeah, but flying uh, a giant uh, missile loaded drone is different than the little two pounder <laughs> I got to to do roof inspections. <laughs> I might yeah. practice. Maybe I'll put some missiles on it and uh, blow a hole in the roof. Make a deal with the roofing company that they'll fix it, and I'll get a kickback. No, that'd be unethical. <laughs> I like the idea of drone pranks. I think there's an untapped resource there. All right, well, g- give me one. So you've got a neighbor who like, or, you know, someone who, you know, just constantly speeds. And like Gallagher said, we should stop giving tickets. We should just like throw paintballs at cars. And after they've got three or four paint smotches on, we just pulling over for being an asshole. So you could do a prank vandalism gig where the, the drone drops like, you know, rotten eggs or something. I don't know. Yeah, you do, They actually do have little things you can put on the drone that'll release that you can remotely release. Them. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's illegal. Get a felony, but <laughs> or, you, or you could do like drone graffiti so that it has like a little spray spray can of, of art. And then you, you fly way up to the top of the empire state building and tag it with, you know, the, the New Jersey tagger. Tag oh, you awesome. Multiple felonies rather than just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, those aren't pranks. That's just bad. Yeah. Suddenly you I'm on your hit how, list. How regulated it is now. I had to pass oh, this yeah. test. that was uh, proctored. So I wasn't, wouldn't cheat. And um, like where I'm at now, um, all right, uh, Oceana Naval Station's like miles away, but I'm in Class D airspace, so I can't even practice my drone here unless I get air traffic control clearance. So I have to go on wow. my app, request uh, permission, and it's, it's uh, because you know these things can get away from you, and then they go bring down a, a real plane, <laughs> you know. Not so good. so it's pretty serious, um, serious stuff. But uh, uh, I wouldn't mind. Um, I can think of a lot of people I wouldn't mind missling, you know, but. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to go even deeper. You were a bar owner in the, in the seventies and eighties or the early eighties, right? 80 80 to 86. Yeah. Yeah. And in Texas, where were you? No, this was in West by God, Virginia. You have to say by God, God, Virginia. So what's your relationship to alcohol and, uh, you know, have you ever ridden the the crazy train? Never. (laughs) No, I've never, uh, uh, I'm allergic. So, uh, and, and when I lived in DC, people said, Oh, okay. Sh- you're an alcoholic, right? I said, no, I will. If one drop, even if I have a liqueur in a dessert, I break out in hives and have to stick my head in an air conditioning duct. So wow. most nightclub owners turn alcoholic cause they got all that free booze. I didn't touch one drop. My problem was that we had a pizza shop restaurant next to the bar, and so I ate all the pizza up. And I only um, had any um, marijuana twice. Once was in college where this girl begged me to do it, and I knew I'd get laid, so that's once. But the other time, I was at the bar, and one of the uh, – and, and I didn't really feel anything when I smoked it in college. There's nothing other than I'm trying to get this girl. Um 
And so this guy at the bar brings in hash brownies. Oh, oh and, and I thought, oh man, I love brownies. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's going to do shit to me. I, so <laughs> I eat this brownie. By the end of the night, I'm like this against the back wall of the bar. And the, the customers are locking up for it. <laughs> and and the, the whole bar had all these pizza crusts all over them. I'm like, <laughs> Pac-Man. Go home and throw it all up. Yeah. So, and actually, I, I went upstairs and throw it all up. I tell people I've never had a job. I've always worked out of my home. Even at the nightclub, I lived above the nightclub. Oh, wow. So technically, I had a nightclub in my basement. But uh, no, I've never. I'm I'm very anti. Um, I want to be in control. You know, I don't want to be have my faculties. Uh, you know, because as I said, I carry a gun, and uh, you know, I've got a lot of responsibilities, and uh, don't want any felonies. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, so you got drinking. Oh, and even uh, pills. You know, so if I'm given pain pills for some injury or something, I rarely use them all. You know, just enough to get by, and uh, you know, I pretty much sell yeah. the rest of them. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, how do you train your security dogs so that they're still like they don't go manic angry? Yeah, well, that's why they're so expensive, is because uh, you have to find the dogs with the right temperament. So uh, you can easily find a dog that will kill everybody in the neighborhood. You can easily find a dog that will hide behind you and eat popcorn while you're getting raped. But to find one that that's normal in normal circumstances, but can be a professional fighter when need be, that's rare. So to find that dog that has an off switch so we can tell him quit tearing that person up and but we'll go and get him fearlessly when you tell him to. So, uh, but I've got pictures of little three-year-olds walking my dogs around and, you know, they're no big deal because they're what they call clear-headed dogs. And so that's why it's so expensive because to find those dogs and then train them is um, is much more rare. So that's why they cost so much. So what breeds are typically the highest ratio of clear-headed breeds? Well, German Shepherds are really brilliant. The only problem with German Shepherds and a lot of purebreds is that they get their, their hips go, their, they get, uh, DM, it's called, uh, um, in the, it's a disease that makes their rear end just quit on them. And so, um, a lot of times they use uh, Belgian Malinois. Uh, the reason they're not as good for family protection is because they're hyper all the time. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. German Shepherd will sit in there and sleep all day and then go out and kill somebody if you ask him. You know, but the, 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 uh, Mal was more hyper. So it's harder to, to get a, a family dog that's hyper all the time. Doesn't fit in with family schedule. So we like German Shepherds, Malinois, Dutch Shepherds are another one <clears throat> that, um, that are good. Uh, but a lot of times people will come and and say, hey, I got this dog. I want you to train him to be a protection dog. And I say, well, well wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I, I give them an example. Let's say you had two boys in your family. And one uh, boy plays the piano and the violin and cries at the drop of a hat. And you got the other boy that falls off his bike, busts his head and laughs about it. And uh, jumps back on and and jumps over and crashes again and laughs about. 
well, which one are you going to make a professional boxer? You know, the, the, the temperament is not there. It'd be cruel to try to force the, the one boy to be a professional fighter when the other one is he's begging to be something tough, you know? So, so we have to test the dogs to see what their temperament is because you, you put enormous amount of money into a dog training them. I mean, enormous amounts. And then the dog <laughs> still goes behind you and eats popcorn while you're getting killed. So, so, um, so it's a testing procedure and then finding a dog with the right temperament. And so is there an age that's appropriate to start bringing a dog into training? Oh, they started them very young in the several months old, just uh, with simple, easy stuff. But you can kind of tell right off the bat. I mean, do they want to chase balls? Do, will they grab a, a leather um, leather napkin so it doesn't hurt their teeth because their real teeth aren't in yet? And will they grab and will they play tug with you? And, you know, it's kind of those kind of things. And then... Will the dog, can you put the dog out all by itself and see if it's neurotic and crazy and uh, can't handle it? And then you send a, a, a stranger up to it and see how it reacts. If it says, oh, come on, I love you, I love you. Well, that ain't your right dog, all right, because they're going to uh, invite the criminal in to say, hey, yeah, the gold's right here. Here's the thing. <laughs> you know, so, so you want the dog to be very suspicious with strangers. And then, wow. I mean, you, there's all kinds of things. We had one guy wanted to, to train his dog to poop at a certain place on a piece of AstroTurf on his boat. <laughs> How much will that cost? <laughs> you don't want to know, man. Because you got to be there once a day for the dog to poop, be on his boat, have a trainer, a $100 an hour trainer tied up. On, you know, so you could train him to do this stuff. One of the important things to do is uh, what they call food refusal. That's where you don't want somebody to be able to poison your dog so they won't take food from only certain mm. situations. But you have to be careful with that, too, because if you train them really good at that and then you have to go out of town and they'll only take food from you, well, uh, the dog will get sick and die <laughs> because they won't eat. You know, uh, so you have to really be careful with all these things you can. The dogs can do about anything. It's just how much time you're willing to put in. Yeah. Did you ever consider animal training in the um, entertainment industry? No, not at all. No, I only did it for uh, protection. And I don't even, I mean, I'm okay, but I don't do the training. I have professional trainers that do, you know, they get the big suits on and they bite them and, you know, all that stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah. So we have a question that we ask almost every guest. Yes. But before I ask you that one, I'm going to ask you a different one. Okay. One of the things that I noticed is missing is a certain breed of dog. And so I'm going to just go thumbs up, thumbs down. Pit bulls. No. No. Uh, and, and nothing wrong with pit bulls. It's just the, the, the perception is out there that's going to just cause you enormous trouble just from Karens and all kinds of people bitching, oh, you got a pit bull. And then some neighborhoods don't allow what they call dangerous dogs. German shepherds. Do they, do they have a high cl classification of clear headedness or not? I don't know about that. It's just that it's, it's never been an issue because it's just an absolute no-no because of all these other issues. Uh, they're, they're, they're badass, I'll tell you that. But uh, the draw structure will get on and just crush you into oblivion. But uh, I don't know anybody that does it and all the, the people they I know. They don't make good security dogs. No, they might make a good junkyard dog. I mean, there's yeah. there's 
there's yeah, places that it. you put a dog that can only be handled by one person and will kill everything in sight. <laughs> All right. So but that would be a, like a junkyard dog. All right. You now the real question. Up. Yeah. How do I keep Ooh. my boyish good looks? I <laughs> no, knew no. it. I knew <laughs> it. <laughs> For Foo a 90-year-old man, you look wonderful. Yeah, thank you. What's Foo that? Fighters or Eminem? Uh, I would say Eminem only because uh, one song that I like, I couldn't even tell you a Foo Fighters song. This is, uh, you guys are a lot younger than me. I don't know. That's I don't even know what the Foo Fighters do. But Eminem has a song. It goes, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, da. What's what's yeah. that song that he does? Is that the March one about yeah. um, like we're yeah. gonna march on DC? That? I, I don't know if it was that or not, but uh, yeah. So oh. that's the only one I know. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to pick out Foo Fighters from a lineup either. May got I it. could Eminem for sure. All right, we got the answer. Eminem. <laughs> Thank you. I'd, I'd rather eat Eminems rather than listen to. <laughs> oh man i I think we need to wrap up no no i i'm waiting for my orgasmic mediation training from mark uh, <laughs> well, it's not orgasmic meditation training oh whatever it is. yeah i like that you've had five orgasms and you've only had two <laughs> yeah. what we need to do here that's right we <laughs> You but Tom, if you're really curious, you just need to set up an appointment with me and your girlfriend, and and we can talk about it. Okay, <laughs> and you know that there's somebody impersonating you. They call himself the the Mark Went, and he works for Procter and Gamble and the Walmart marketing director. <laughs> he's the prof- he's the highly successful professional person who spells his name right. <laughs> yeah, I am aware of him because he's killing my Google results. I know. I, saw, <laughs> I first went looking for it. this guy. And I said, oh, and I was going to, I had this whole thing ready about how um, I'm upset with Walmart. There's this disturbing trend that all the greeters are getting younger. And, <laughs> but meaning you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. So you just have to come at me with orgasmic mediation. That was way more fun. Yeah, I love that. I do have meditation down here, but I call it a mediation. <laughs> See, that's that's a psychological tell right there, Tom. I think the Seriously, you should reach out to me. Be very interested in that. Oh man, so would you call yourself a counselor or a psychiatrist or psychologist? Because I have I no met one that didn't need one. I do not have degrees. What I have is I have certifications that are basically life coaching plus. You got a hundred of them too. I saw, I saw your LinkedIn page. I got a few, um, and I'm currently engaged in another program called the All-In Man Initiation Process, which is really helpful, especially because in a, in a lot of um, parts of our country, there are a lot of fatherless households, and that mm-hmm. is creating an epidemic of men who don't have the moxie that you have, Tom. Mm-hmm. And we we really need a society. We need to help those men get to the place where they can be powerful leaders, it's really hollowing out our culture and our, our society. And so that's that's the work I'm really interested in and that um, I need to be successful in. So I'm going to take what I learned from you today <laughs> and I'm going to get myself my ebook going and I'm going to get my email list on the right place. In fact, Greg yeah. and I have meeting right after this podcast about that. But enough about me, bring, Tom. Bring him, out here, bring him out here for a retreat and we'll build something right out there. I build trailers and build stuff and the, they need some I'd of that. I'd love to do that. 
I'd love to do that. I'd love to run the program, the initiation weekend at your place with a, with a bunch of local fatherless men who need it. But that's for another date. For right now, I just learned a new secret about how to handle women. So I'm going to present this to you, Tom, because I think you'll appreciate this. Oh, like I'm the expert at that. All right. That's well, good. You, when you, if you can tell you us why. Handle Did you say handle or fondle? I don't understand is better, <laughs> a better term. So here it comes. If you can understand why a pizza is round, comes in a square box, and is eaten as a triangle, then you're ready to understand women. <laughs> That's, I like that. Did you make that up? No, I stole it from my drummer. Oh, <laughs> oh it's good, though. That is good. So when can I watch Rewind? Um, I don't know. I was encouraging the director. He said to, it came out May 29th. Right. Um, I'm encouraging him to get it in film festivals and festivals don't want it out on the internet publicly. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. So, so uh, mine's supposed to come out this summer, but they've been saying that for years. It's called the American entrepreneur. And, uh, you can see it at facebook.com slash American entrepreneur film, the trailer. And, uh, yeah, once it's out of my hands, <laughs> yeah, you Hollywood guys. Yeah. Did, were I'm you involved in the production of that? Yeah, yeah, because they had to shoot at the house here and stuff, and they did testimonials from people. At Not, let me rephrase. Were you financially responsible for that? No, no I mean, uh, I don't think there's much budget in this thing, tell you the truth. I mean, it looks nice, but the uh, the lady has done it, uh, has done 37 documentaries with wow. Olympic athletes and everything. It's, uh, what's her name? Terry Marie. And I forget white wing productions out of uh, Pasadena. Yeah. So, um, and she hasn't released it yet. That's well, she's been, uh, she's had some deaths in the family and, uh, and, um, uh, she's apparently negotiating with where to do it. Or I don't know. Okay. So All right. I just, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. We can't wait for that film. I, I wanted to try and place it on the, the, the podcast today, the trailer, but we aren't able to like deal with Facebook and playing back and all that. But maybe another time when the film's getting ready to release, we could. Oh, have yeah. Back yeah most people just put the link to it. So Facebook's is happy. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> so director of the shoe, I'm, I'm going to brag about this for. Oh, man. Long I'm really time. glad there's one that you haven't figured out about me. Uh, let me see here. The Making of the Prankster, Baja. Uh, That's all Greg. Okay, let's see. Um, <clears throat> let's see. You were in something, right? Maybe. His nickname is Golden Bear. That's that's a red herring. He's dri he's driving you sideways. It must be the something to do with the school. I'm just glad. Like, there's a thing I could tell you. It's super fun. I'll tell you sometime when we're just hanging out. Rather than make it about me right now, a big braggadocio moment here. Tom, it's been amazing having you. We could talk for another two hours. In fact, I'm going to call Joe Rogan and recommend you right after this. <laughs> You're going to do what? Yeah, because Mark and Joe are like this. Hey, Joe, what are you doing? <laughs> going to recommend you for Joe Rogan because we could obviously oh. talk to you for another two hours. Oh, yeah. I could go all day. I mean, stories I got. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to promote before we sign off? Oh, anybody that wants uh, training in internet and digital marketing, I have the uh, the longest running, most successful ever in the field of internet and digital marketing mentor program. It's unique too because you spend an immersion weekend here at the retreat center. 
you get a free scholarship to my school, which you can gift to your ch- children or anybody you want. Uh, one, one guy spent 80 grand on his daughter's crap education. She's working a crap job. He gifted my school to her. Within six months, she was making six thousand a month and started her own agency, and now just took off like crazy. So that's uh, so a it's a field that young people need to get into, and uh, and it's a very credible uh, training with me because I've been there and done that. So so they can check that out if they want. But um, any questions they have, Tom, what's it's the URL for that. that. What's that? What's the oh, URL? Uh, the the uh, Great Internet Marketing Training dot com is the mentor program, and the school is the Internet Marketing Training Center of Virginia. It's distance learning, though, so it's imtcva.org. And they can email me at tom at screwthecommute.com. And you guys got to get on my show. We'd love We'd to. Love to. I hope that happens. Yes, sir. Yeah, so just send me a couple of days and times. You can uh, do it. Email me and uh, All right. get her booked. All right. And then I'll reveal that secret thing that you don't know Okay, about. good. Yeah, reveal it on my show. And thanks for joining us, and um, until next time. Okay, so don't steal my moonogram idea, all right? We'll I'm already, it's moonogram. gone, it's gone. Marin County or wherever the hell you live. <laughs> I think, now I, think I would Moonin modify County. it. I would modify it by having it be Moonapore, and we would have him pour the wine for you at Thanksgiving dinner. With <laughs> okay, well, that'll work. <laughs> Okay, guys. We've hit a new low and low. Recording stopped.